You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good and leader in good to be with you again. And, of course, as always, there's a lot going on. But I want to start off today talking about something that I am extremely concerned about and something that I think is is on the verge of bringing down our congressional government, our constitutional form of government. And it's it's being done in conjunction with both Republicans and Democrats. It's been going on for a while, but now it's it's reached critical mass. And I've prepared a new article for my uh, blog at Michael Connolly, C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y dot Jigsy dot com. And you can go there and and read it later tonight. Those of you who are on my mailing list will get a notice when I posted it, which I hope will be tonight. And uh, basically... I point out that it's happened once again. Yesterday, important legislation designed to protect the American people has gone down to defeat in the Senate, despite the fact that it was supported by a vast majority of the citizens of this country and a clear majority of our elected representatives in both houses of the U.S. Congress. This time, 45 members of the U.S. Senate, all Democrats, were allowed to ignore the will of the people and the Constitution and stop a bill that would have punished sanctuary cities that have allowed thousands of illegal aliens to roam their streets at will, including convicted criminals who prey on American citizens. Attached to this legislation was the so-called Cates Law, which was named after the young woman out in San Francisco who was killed by an illegal alien who had been deported five times from this country had been convicted of felonies, but was because he it was a sanctuary city, the sheriff's office there had released him onto the streets, and he ends up killing an innocent young woman. One thing I'm disturbed about was why they attached Kate's law, Kate's law, to this legislation as an amendment. Why wasn't it a separate piece of legislation? I think it was done so that ultimately the Senate would not have to vote on it. And ultimately the Democrats in particular would not have to vote on it. Now, this legislation went down to defeat. It was accomplished because of the filibuster rule in the Senate that requires 60 senators must vote for cloture, as they call it, in order for any piece of legislation to come to the floor of the Senate for a final vote. The rule was adopted by the Senate about four decades ago to supposedly protect the rights of the minority party in the Senate. But it has now become a method for enforcing gridlock and violating the constitutional rights of the American people to be represented by our elected members of Congress. The Constitution establishes the Congress made up of two houses, the House of Representatives and the United States Senate. Members of both houses take an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. The same oath the president takes, the same oath that members of the military take. And this very Constitution set up the Congress to pass legislation by a majority of votes in both houses of Congress. That is the way that the members can effectively represent the will of the people who elected them, both in the House and in the Senate. 
There is nothing in the Constitution that requires or even allows the U.S. Senate to require that laws be passed by a so-called supermajority. And that's what we have. We have a requirement for 60 votes, not a simple majority. That allows, in the case of the Sanctuary Cities Bill, for 45 members of the Senate to stop the legislation from ever coming to a final vote, legislation that would have passed by a majority of the Senate had it been brought to a vote. It's the same tactic that was used by 42, and it only takes 42 senators to do this. By 42 senators who basically stopped us from having a vote, having our Senate vote on the Iran-Contra Treaty. Iran-Contra, boy, that takes me back. It shows how old I am. On the Iran Treaty. The treaty, and it is a treaty, and I pointed this out before on this show, it meets all the criteria of a treaty. This treaty was basically passed in secret, signed in secret by the president and by John Kerry. There are still parts of the treaty that no members of Congress have ever seen, so-called side agreements uh, that basically allow Iran to develop nuclear weapons and to have ballistic missiles. The Iranians are already rubbing our noses in it. They have tested new uh, ballistic missiles. They have shown off uh, ballistic missiles they have, and some of these are ICBMs, and they're acquiring more ICBMs, and they can be used to launch nuclear weapon strikes, not just against Israel, but against Europe and against the United States. Yet, the constitutional requirement that any treaty signed by the president before it can go into effect must be ratified by two-thirds majority of the Senate. That was set aside by the acquiescence of the Republican and Democratic leadership in both houses of Congress. You and I were basically told by our senators, we no longer represent you, we represent the old boys, good old boys club in the Senate. I don't care how many women are in there, it's still the same philosophy. Good old boys club in the Senate. The House voted against the treaty. But our elected representatives, including Republican leadership, had gone further than to just abolish the constitutional requirement that a two-thirds majority of the Senate ratify a treaty. They allowed Obama to do something unprecedented, and now that it's been done, it's established a new precedent or legislation in Congress. It set it up so Obama could submit the treaty, or the so-called agreement as they referred to it. They allowed him to call it an executive agreement, to submit this agreement to the Congress, but they are only allowed to vote it down. They could do a negative vote, and then the president was allowed under this agreement to veto that negative vote. And Article 1, Section 7 of the Constitution allows the president to veto laws passed by Congress. And it takes two-thirds of both houses of Congress to vote to override that veto. That deal that was given to the president 
violates the Constitution. It violates Article One, Section 7, and establishes a very dangerous precedent. Because now the president can do something like go before Congress and offer a piece of legislation that would, for example, require universal gun registration. Because he's required to do that under the U.N. Treaty that was signed and also is being enforced without ever being brought to, brought to a vote in Congress at all. It's required that two-thirds of the Senate ratify it before it can be enforced. The president is proceeding with enforcement, and the U.S. Senate is sitting back and letting him do so without calling his hand on this. So he wants to enforce that, and one of the things that has to be enforced, one of the requirements, is that all privately owned firearms in the United States be registered and that the list of people that own firearms, our names, addresses, possibly even our Social Security numbers, will be turned over to the United Nations. He's going forward with this. And under this precedent that's been set by this Congress, he can now bring legislation to the Congress that requires registration, and he can bring it to them, set up the same way as the treaty was, and that is to require the Congress to vote against the legislation. And if they vote against it, then the president can veto that vote. And we're not going to get two-thirds of the Senate. We're not even going to get two-thirds of the House to override that veto. you got too many gun grabbers in both houses of Congress. But the precedent has been set for that. And we have a situation where, in Congress, our members of the House and the Senate and that you and I, the voters in this country, are betraying us. Now, the 60-vote rule in the Senate can be changed by a majority vote in the Senate. When the Democrats controlled the Senate and Harry Reid was in charge, he used the rule to keep legislation from being voted on that had been passed by the House of Representatives. That's why there was total gridlock for the six years that Harry Reid and the Democrats were in control of the Senate while Obama was president. Legislation would be passed by the House and sent to the Senate and would never even be voted on. It wouldn't even allow it to be brought to the floor for a vote, or if it was brought for a vote, it required 60 senators to vote to even allow it to be voted on. This is the good old boy protection system. Senators feel like, hey, we can't be held accountable for voting on legislation if we never vote on it at all. If we never allow it to be brought to the House for a vote, up and down vote on a piece of legislation, nobody can hold us accountable for how we vote on it. By the same token, Harry Reid did not hesitate to use the so-called nuclear option, which basically allowed him to say, okay, I'm going to ignore the 60-vote rule for cloture in certain cases. And Obama, of course, had, was putting that forward a lot of far-left people to sit on the federal judiciary, nominees for those positions. Of course, he never put forth the 45 czars he appointed to be approved by the United States Senate, even though 
that's required under law, under the Constitution. But he put these these people up for these positions, including judicial positions, and they were not going to get passed through the Senate because the Republicans were going to block it. They had enough votes that 60 votes could not be obtained. So Harry Reid just says, well, I'm going to use a nuclear option, and I'm going to say that's not required. And Mitch McConnell complained about it, did nothing about it. Other senators complained about it and did nothing about it. And the bottom line was that Harry Reid was allowed to violate it. Now, if he was allowed to, to change it at will, and so is Mitch McConnell. So why isn't he doing it? Why are our senators not voting on so many key issues? And we'll talk more about that after the break. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're looking at a lot of legislation that's very important to the American people that's not even being voted on in the United States Senate. I mentioned the Sanctuary Cities Bill. 62% of the American voters feel like sanctuary cities ought to be punished by our Congress. Funding ought to be cut off to them, federal funds. If the Senate never voted on it, it was passed, it would have been passed to the House of Representatives overwhelmingly, but the Senate never voted on it, so it's never going to make it to the House of Representatives. Over 70% of the American voters 
did not want the Iran Treaty passed. They didn't trust the Iranians. They didn't trust Obama. They thought it was a bad treaty that would endanger this country, as well as our allies such as Israel. It should have been brought to the Senate for a vote of a two-thirds majority, but was it even brought to the Senate for a vote by a majority? The House had voted it down. The Senate didn't vote on it at all. The Planned Parenthood, defunding a Planned Parenthood, which is supported by a majority of the American people, passed the House of Representatives, never voted on the United States Senate. This has been going on far too long. It shields members of the Senate from being held accountable for their votes. We, and I say we, I'm talking about conservatives in this country, elected Republicans in 2010 when we took control of the House, again in 2012 when we maintained control of the House, and then in 2014 when Republicans took control of the United States Senate and have the largest majority in the House of Representatives since the Hoover administration. So why isn't anything getting done that we want done? Why aren't our representatives and senators doing what we elected them to do? Apparently they don't have the guts. I'm calling on everybody that listens to this, and please, go to my website later on this evening or tomorrow at www.michaelconnelly.com. C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y.jigsy.com and read the article that I'm posting. It's called, I'm putting it in as a legislative alert, which I do occasionally, about legislation pending in Congress or that I think ought to be pending in Congress, and send it on and send it to your senators. What has to happen here is that the United States Senate, by a simple majority vote, as to abolish the cloture system. Now, that would put back into place the old filibuster rules where someone could stand up on the floor of the Senate and talk long for a long time and keep the Senate from immediately voting on something. Well, first of all, I don't think we have any senators out there who really have the guts to do that, except possibly Ted Cruz. But this will force the members of the United States Senate, to vote on key pieces of legislation as they are required to do under the Constitution. And it will take a simple majority to defeat legislation or to pass legislation. Now, I can tell you right now what some of the senators are going to say, the Republican senators. Well, it's not going to do any good, because Obama will just veto whatever we pass. So what? Hopefully Obama's only going to be in office for another uh, little over a year. And hopefully Hillary Clinton will not take over from him. But what matters here is the fact that our senators will be held accountable. Yeah, they don't have the votes to override an Obama veto, but then it'll be on Obama. Right now, everything bad that happens in, this, in the Congress is blamed on the Republicans, and they just sort of sit back and take the blame. 
Obama says he's going to veto the Defense Authorization Act because he wants more spending on social programs. Basically, he wants more money to help bring illegals into this country and get them ready to vote Democratic. That's the bottom line. So he's going to veto that, which will basically cut off the funding for our military, keep our soldiers from being paid, keep our veterans from getting their benefits and getting the treatment they need, which, by the way, they're not getting at all, despite all the supposedly changes, and I'll get to that in a few minutes. But he's willing to veto that and blame it on the Republicans. So they didn't do what I want them to do, and therefore I'm going to veto it. I'm going to punish the American military. I'm going to punish the American people. Let that be on Obama. Let the Sanctuary City bill pass. And let the veto be on Obama and the Democrats. Let Kate's law pass. And let Obama have to veto it. And the Democrats vote not to override the veto. Put them on record. Hold them accountable for what they're doing. And hold the Republicans accountable for what they're doing. Because, see, this is also used as a shield by Republicans. Some of your rhinos out there, they don't want to vote for the Sanctuary City Bill. They don't want to vote for Kate's Law. So what they do is they hide behind this cloture rule. And they vote with the majority, they vote with the Republicans to for cloture, knowing full well that the 60 votes will not be achieved, and that they will never ultimately have to vote on the legislation itself, because it will never be brought to the Senate for a vote. This is a scam. This is a complete scam on the American people. I'm reaching a point of no return. I am tired of watching elected representatives in Washington protecting themselves and their re-election chances and refusing to represent the people that put them there in the first place. Kerry Reid used a nuclear option out there. Excuse me. I think it's time that the American people reminded our elected officials from the president on down through the local school boards that we also have a nuclear option. And it's contained within the Declaration of Independence where it says that if a government, any government, including our government, our present one, starts to trample on the constitutional rights of its citizens, that those citizens, meaning you and I, have the right to alter, an absolute right, to alter or abolish that government. That's the ultimate nuclear option. And that's contained in our Constitution, or I should say in our Declaration of Independence, and basically was enshrined in the Constitution. As many of you have copies of my little book that I called Our Constitution that you can find through my, my website and blog at michaelconnolly.gz.com 
you can also find out how to order multiple copies at reduced rates. It's only $6 per copy uh, over the Internet. But you can go to www.constitution.jigsy.com. And in that booklet, I put in something that most people don't realize exists. But it's part of the Constitution. But for some reason, a lot of your textbooks don't have it. Of course, a lot of your textbooks these days don't mention the Constitution at all, except to say it's archaic and should be abolished and, you know, things like the Second Amendment don't really mean what they say. And the First Amendment doesn't really mean what it says. You can only have freedom of speech if you agree with things like uh, gay marriage rights and you agree with the liberal philosophy, then you're allowed to have freedom of religion to a limited extent. <laughs> so all of that is the liberal philosophy. But in my book that I point out that there is a preamble to the Bill of Rights, which basically contains a warning of what Americans are capable of doing and can do under the Declaration of Independence. And that warning is by the Founding Fathers to the federal government saying that these rights enumerated in the first ten amendments of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are not rights given to us by the federal government. Because if we acknowledge that those rights are given to us by the federal government, then we acknowledge that the federal government can take those rights away. Instead, the preamble sets forth the concept that these are God-given rights. Just like it's mentioned in the Declaration of Independence, that we have the God-given right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Constitution goes even further and says these enumerated rights in the Bill of Rights, including the right to keep and bear arms, including the right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures, including the right to have due process of law before our land or our liberty or our lives can be taken from us by the federal government. These are inherent rights given to us by our Creator. And therefore, the federal government cannot do anything to denigrate those rights or to damage those rights. As far as I'm concerned, my reading of that is that they can't even try to amend the Constitution to change those rights. Other amendments to the Constitution, and the body of the Constitution can be altered by amendment. But as I see it, the Bill of Rights cannot be altered by amendment. And that's something that the American people, I don't think, are even aware of. But this in my little booklet, the preamble to the Bill of Rights and the entire Constitution. I take each article in each section of the Constitution, I put them in the way they were originally written, and then I put in my comments about what they actually mean. people seem to really like this booklet. We've had school uh, rotary clubs and, and uh, school districts, private schools, buying hundreds of copies at a time to hand out to school children around the country. We have a lot of people buying them in bulk to hand out to members of their organizations, like Tea Party groups, Republican groups, Lions clubs, rotary clubs. We have a lot of people who just carry them around with them so they can pull them out and show their liberal friends the truth about the Constitution. For example, they can open that up 
to the Constitution when somebody says, well, you can't have religion in the schools, you can't have prayer in the schools, that violates the separation of church and state. <clears throat> they will open up the booklet and say, here, here it is. Find that phrase in the Constitution. They can't do it because it's not there. Let's take our second break at this point. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Now, tomorrow we are going to be treated to the spectacle of Hillary Rodham Clinton lying to a congressional committee again, lying about Benghazi again. The outcome is predictable. The committee members will throw some tough questions at her, at least the Republican committee members. The Democratic committee members will defend her and her lies. The mainstream news media will defend her and her lies. They will selectively report on the committee, and they will talk about how badly this poor woman was treated by the committee members. And they'll point out that Kevin McCartney stuck his foot in his mouth and said that this was, you know, look what this committee had done, that her poll numbers had been falling. Well, it wasn't what the committee did, it was what she did by having a secret server, a secret email account, where she put classified information out for it to be stolen by our enemies. What really went on with Benghazi? What's been going on with Benghazi? This is what we know for a fact, yet has never been reported for the most part by the mainstream media. The attack 
on Benghazi was a coordinated planned attack. It had been planned for a number of weeks, possibly months. Ambassador Chris Stevens and his chief of security were aware of the possibility of such an attack. They were aware that the consulate in Benghazi was extremely vulnerable. They requested additional security from the state of Libya, which was basically had no government at that point, was totally disorganized. They didn't get it. They made repeated, repeated requests to the State Department, at that time being run by Hillary Clinton, for additional security. Not only did they not get additional security, the security detail assigned to the ambassador was actually cut by 10 people during that period. There were originally supposed to be 14 of them. Then all of a sudden there were four in this particular team. And a few people from a British company were hired, but they were banned from carrying firearms, or at least loaded firearms, by the State Department. Then the attack takes place. Hillary and Obama and Susan Rice and the entire Obama administration comes out and says this was not a terrorist attack. This was a, an attack that resulted from riots caused by an obscure video posted on the Internet that was anti-Muslim. Now, Hillary Clinton was apparently in the Situation Room in the White House, along with Leon Panetta and other members of the Cabinet, watching a satellite live feed that was showing them what was happening in Benghazi in real time. And it was clear that this was a coordinated attack. A group of rioters protesting a movie would not ordinarily be or carrying automatic weapons, carrying mortars, which were used to kill the a mortar fire, kill the two Navy SEALs that risked their lives to try to protect the ambassador. Four Americans died. Others were wounded. Members of the administration were watching in real time what was happening. They knew this had nothing to do with the so-called video. Yet they perpetuated that lie. That we know for a fact. We know for a fact that additional security was denied to the ambassador and his team in Libya. What we don't know is even more telling. We don't know where the President of the United States was while all this was going on. He apparently was in the Situation Room. We don't even know if he was briefed on it. Supposedly, that somebody told him about it, but he basically dismissed it. He didn't care. He had something better to do. And there's all kinds of speculation about what that may have been. One thing that Hillary Clinton needs to be asked tomorrow is, did she, in fact, have a conversation with the President of the United States while this was going on, a telephone conversation, and what orders were given to her by the President? Because something else we don't know is that 
who gave the order to the security team members that were in Tripoli and were an hour away by airplane from Benghazi. There were only four of them, but they were all special forces people, and they were ready to go. And if they had been dispatched, they might not have saved the ambassador, but they might have saved some of the other people that were killed. And they were told to stand down by the CIA contact in that area. That they were told that they received the order had been received from the White House to stand down. We had a Marine detachment within striking distance of Benghazi. They were told to stand down. We had aircraft in the air within striking distance of Benghazi. They were told to stand down. Now, America, apparently the two Navy SEALs thought that the aircraft were going to come because they were on the roof where they were ultimately killed, painting the targets down below for airstrikes. So in other words, they were doing their jobs, but no airstrike ever came. Somebody gave the order to stand down. Was it the President of the United States? Was it Valerie Jarrett acting on behalf of the President of the United States, who, by the way, would have no authority to convey such a message? The order to stand down would have to originate in the White House. If it came from anywhere else, it's a violation of law and a violation of our Constitution. But we know the order came. Did Hillary give the order? Did she decide to try to cover her butt? Because she knew that she might be held accountable for not providing adequate security? Well, all the, those are all questions that we don't have answers for. And hopefully, they will hold Hillary's feet to the fire tomorrow and try to get some of these answers and get her to answer about these emails. Why did she come out and say, oh, there was no classified information in these emails? Well, I'm a former military intelligence officer. I know what's classified information, and I know what's not. I don't have to have a little note on top of the email to tell me this is classified information. If somebody sends me an email containing information about a conversation between two members of a foreign government or two foreign governments or a conversation between a member of a foreign government and our government regarding national security matters, I know that that is classified. Nobody has to hit me in the side of the head with a brick and tell me, hey, that's classified information. You shouldn't put out that, that on the Internet for everybody to see. So either Hillary is the dumbest Secretary of State we've ever had, or she's a pathological liar. And I think it's the latter. And now she wants to be President of the United States. She wants to perpetuate what she did as Secretary of State. She wants to continue with Obama's third term. She wants to run roughshod over the rights of the American people. She wants to go with the Australian model and order the confiscation of all privately owned firearms. She said that. She doesn't care about the Second Amendment. Like Obama, she doesn't care what the United States Supreme Court has ruled. Hillary is going to do her own thing to set up a dictatorship in this country. Now, we have an interesting scenario on the Democratic side of the Republican or the presidential race. We have Bernie Sanders, 
who is an avowed socialist slash communist who wants a 90% tax rate on the American people, who wants to take away Second Amendment rights, who wants to take away freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and wants to abolish the free market system of the American economy and set up a government-controlled economy, which has been done in the Soviet Union, which has been done in Cuba, which has been done in China, all of which have turned out to be disastrous failures. China did better because they switched over to a more capitalistic system in the economy, even though they still denied basic freedoms to their people. But then they decided to start taking more control over the capitalist economy, and now it's collapsing on them. It collapsed in the Soviet Union, it collapsed in Cuba, never got off the ground in Cuba. It's collapsed everywhere it's been tried, but we have Bernie Sanders pushing that. Then we have Hillary Clinton, who has knowingly lied to the American people time and time again, and a bunch of them don't seem to care. She has used her position as Secretary of State to enrich herself and her husband to get money from foreign countries and to cut deals with foreign countries to get money contributed to their so-called foundation, which primarily expends money to help out the Clintons, not to help out the poverty-stricken. She has lied to the American people repeatedly. She is under investigation by the FBI, although Obama's trying to thwart that investigation. And there are some furious FBI agents out there because they think they can nail Hillary Clinton on several federal charges. And she needs to be nailed. But I don't think Obama's going to let it happen. But that's what we have with the Democratic candidates. Those are the people that want to be our president. On the Republican side, we have a mishmash of establishment candidates and candidates who are on the outside. How that's going to come out, nobody knows at this point. But here's what ultimately has to happen. We have to have a United States Senate that abides by the Constitution and will vote on legislation brought before it and pass it or defeat it with a majority vote. We have to have a House of Representatives that has leaders who will continue a hard charge or make a hard charge against the illegal and unconstitutional activities of the Obama administration. And we ultimately have to have a President of the United States who believes in the Constitution of the United States and who will fight to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Let's take our final break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights 
our liberty, and our Constitution. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. This is Peter Wallace, inviting you to listen every Sunday morning to Day One with inspiring preachers from America's mainline churches on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Let's wrap up today by talking about the veteran situation again. And some of you may be tired of hearing about it, but I'm going to keep talking about it and keep pushing to get your help on it. And we've had the veterans we know that are receiving the letters from the VA saying because of your physical and mental disabilities, we're going to declare you incompetent to handle your own financial affairs. And by the way, the letter goes on to say once we declare you incompetent, you can no longer own, possess, transport, or purchase firearms or ammunition. If you do, you're guilty of a felony. We are representing a number of veterans around the country fighting this. And we need for other veterans... We're doing this for free. We're not charging veterans their families anything. We're advising you on how to fight this if you get the letter or if you've already been told that because if you have minor PTSD or because you were ever depressed or because you let your spouse pay the family bills or because you have your bills paid automatically out of your checking account, that you are therefore incompetent and that you will be put on the next list under the category, and that's the National Innocent Criminal Background Checklist run by the FBI, under the category of being mentally ill to the point of being a danger to yourself or others, and you will not be allowed to own a firearm. If you had any of this happen to you, contact me at michael at usjfmail.net. Michael at usjfmail.net. We will do everything we can to assist you and there will be no charge. If you would like to help us in our endeavors in supporting these veterans, please go to usjf.net and donate. You can donate. You can find out there how to donate to our website or how to donate by mail. We actually have two offices. We have the one in California, which you'll find the address at the usjf.net website, and then we have a, an office here in Texas, and uh, you can send a donation there uh, through our post office box 1266, post office box 1266, Canton, Texas, C-A-N-T-O-N 75103. And all that money will go to assist the United States Justice Foundation in helping our veterans. We have proof 
that our veterans are being denied their Fifth Amendment rights to due process, their Second Amendment rights to keep and bear arms, their Fourth Amendment rights to privacy. We have proof of that, that we are prepared to offer a court of law. And we're trying to raise the money to do that, but it's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars probably. So if you would like to help us raise that kind of money, if you would like to make a large donation to us, please do so. Or if you would like to set it up for me to come meet with a group of potential donors, I will do that. I've done it here in Texas, uh, some, but I'd like to do a lot more of it. I will make speeches to your organization about this situation and virtually any other constitutional issue you want me to discuss. I'm available to make speeches. I've done hundreds of them in the last couple of years. I've uh, done them in uh, Texas. I've done them in uh, Florida, uh, Nevada, Missouri. So if you want me to come make a speech to your organization, please contact me again at michael at usjfmail.net. And give me the opportunity to present to you what we're doing. But again, if you're a veteran, or for that matter, if you are a Social Security recipient, and now they are starting to receive these letters. You know, sometimes I really hate it when I'm wrong, because about six or eight months ago, I wrote an article on my blog saying that there was going to be a next step, that they were being so successful at doing this to veterans, because, again, we've had attempts made in Congress in the United States Senate to stop this from happening to veterans, and they have never been brought to a, brought to a vote in front of the full Senate because of the Democrats using the cloture rule to block it. So no help is being given to our veterans by Congress. We do have Senator Charles Grassley, and we're working with his committee. He's investigating all of this through the Senate Judiciary Committee. But again, what are they going to do? They've twice introduced the Veterans Second Amendment Protection Act. And at one point, it was just defeated in a committee in the Senate, back when the Democrats controlled the Senate. Then it was finally brought to a vote on the culture rule. And enough Democratic senators voted against it to keep our veterans from being protected. That's something else that you have to be held accountable for. So we may ultimately have to do this in court, and we're prepared to do it. But we need your help because our plates, particularly my plate, is very full right now, helping individual veterans, writing the articles and monitoring all the other things that we're doing because we're also involved in freedom of religion protection. We're involved in supporting the state of Texas and the other states who have challenged the Obama amnesty granting as illegal and unconstitutional, and we have won the district court in Texas, and we won in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And it will ultimately be going to the Supreme Court, and we will be filing a brief in the United States Supreme Court. So help us out here. We're putting up a good fight. We're doing everything we can to help our veterans. But it's getting worse. Today, the General Accounting Office came out and zeroed in on the Veterans Hospital in Phoenix, which a couple of years ago, if you'll recall, was cited, and the director was cited for them actually taking the files of veterans and trashing them. 
so they wouldn't have to give them appointments, so they wouldn't have to treat them. And so their statistics wouldn't look bad. Veterans were call, calling to make appointments and being told that, well, you don't exist in the system. You can't have an appointment. The head of the VA hospital was not fired. She was put on administrative leave. Do you remember we had the new guy come in to take over the Veterans Administration, and he vowed that heads were going to roll. A thousand people probably at least would be fired. One person has been fired so far over a year later. One. Others have been either transferred or put on administrative leave with full pay and benefits, just like Lois Lerner was after which. So nothing's been done. And now the GAO has come out and reported that more veterans have died waiting treatment at the Phoenix Hospital, VA Hospital. 3,200 patients who had appointments with a urologist, some with very serious life-threatening conditions. 3,200 had their appointments canceled in the last year. And most of them were never rescheduled. And some of these people died. We have lost more veterans in this country to the negligence of our VA system and our federal government. And I'm talking about really lost because they have died, waiting treatment. We've lost more than all of the people who were killed fighting in Korea, Vietnam, Operation Desert Storm, the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, more people. In fact, three times as many people, over 300,000, have died awaiting treatment in the VA hospitals. And nothing is being done effectively. Not in Congress, certainly not in the White House, not in the VA. We're pretty much out there in the wilderness by ourselves, the United States Justice Foundation, screaming about this, particularly the, the situation with the Second Amendment rights. Nobody else seems to be taking much interest in it except for the lawyers for the Wounded Warriors Project. <laughs> They've gotten involved, and they are trying to, to help veterans. They're helping veterans on an individual basis, just like we are. So, again, if you're a veteran, contact me at michael at usjfbail.net. If you want to read about this, I've written a number of articles on this in my blog. You can go to www.michaelconnelly.com. And there you can order copies of the booklet on, on the Constitution. Uh, you can also look at the books I've written, like The Mortarman, the story about my father's unit in World War II, which has become a big seller, and on Amazon and other places. Ami Yaley, A Story of America, my patriotic novel, which the left hates. And two other books I've written, uh, sort of campfire-like stories, one for scouts, uh, Writers in the Sky, The Ghosts and Legends of Philmont Scout Ranch, and America's Liveliest Ghost. And by the way, just for your information, I'm working on a new patriotic novel right now. I've got about the first ten chapters written. 
I'm going to try to get that, that published sometime the next year. And to let you know, but go to my website and check it out. Read my blog. Send me an email if you want to be added to the list of people who receive notifications when I post a new article on the blog on the Constitution. Uh, I don't do forwards. Nobody else has access to that list. So do that and continue to listen to the show and get your friends to listen into it, and let's keep up the good fight. Thank you, and I'll talk to you again next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Watchdog.